All right, so we start with the deeply theological question to ponder and meditate on. How, and I really would love your help with figuring out the answer to this question, how are we going to get our kids to pick up after themselves? Like, I just need to know the answer to this question. How are we going to get them to pick up their laundry from next to the hamper, one inch away, and just, just put it in? Hamper doesn't even have a lid. You just drop it. How do you drop it here when the hamper is right here? It makes no sense. I don't know. This is a life skill they need. How are we going to teach their future roommates need them to know this skill? Their future spouses, trust me, they need them to know this skill. This is a biblical mandate upon us as parents. But it's impossible. I don't care what we try. It doesn't seem to work. Is there any solution that you found? Can you solve this world epidemic for us this morning? Anybody? Shock collar. Shock collar. Amen. Hallelujah. It's in the book of Matthew. Look it up. Good. What else? Throw away the clothes that don't make it in. I like it. We've got pain and threats. This is going in a good direction. Danny. Clothes or parents or kids? Kids. Okay. Any one of those would solve that same problem, right? Kids with no clothes, parents with no kids, kids with no parents. Like, yeah, that'll work. Okay. But if you've got kids with clothes, it's an issue. How are we going to do this? How are we going to prevent our children from growing up to be slobs? And then everybody for the rest of their life being like, man, your parents could have done a better job there. And the future spouse being like, I would have really appreciated it if my parents-in-law taught my husband how to pick up his stuff off the floor. I really would have appreciated if my parents-in-law would have taught my wife how to pick up after herself when she goes through the room and leaves a trail. See, the bigger question is, and it's the same exact question, how are we going to make sure that our kids grow up to love Jesus with everything they've got? Because that's also seemingly impossible. How can we control the decisions that they're going to make? How can we control what friend circles they're going to be in? How can we control the stuff that will happen to them that doesn't even come from us, just part of being in the world? How can we control their personalities so when they're bound and determined to be independent, they're going to recognize that the most beautiful thing in the world is to be dependent upon a God who loves you? How are we going to make sure that when they're in college, their roommates are like, that person is a bright source of light, rather than, man, I think I need space from that person. Whenever I'm around them, they pull me down. How are we going to make sure that their future spouses look at them and are like, man, I could never do this life without you. You inspire me. You pray for me. You serve me the way Christ serves the church. You teach me the scriptures that God's teaching you, and it just puts my mind back where it needs to be. It's the same question, right? We can tell them, all right, kids, do this. Love God. Put away your laundry. We can bribe them, make it a chore, make it a, like a, what do you call those things, you know, like an allowance sort of thing. If you pick up your laundry, you'll get this. If you love Jesus, you'll get eternal life. Oh, good, we've got the bribe there, too, built right in. We can threaten them. 
If you do everything your way, you're just going to fall on your face. It's going to fail because we think we know what's best. And the older we get, the more we look back on ourself of five years ago and we like shudder. Like, how did that person survive? We look at ourselves from 10 years ago and like, I don't know how that person made it to today. But in that moment, we really felt like we had it figured out. So how are we going to make something happen that's really beyond our ability to force, beyond our ability, beyond our ability to threaten? I think one thing we didn't mention, which we can throw in there beyond the bribes and the threats, is just the example if you have parents that pick up and put their stuff away, then you grow up in a home where that's kind of the norm. So I think that will be influential. If you are the kind of kid that wakes up in the morning and finds your parent sitting in the armchair with a Bible, that example will be far more influential than telling them, read your Bible every morning, or here's a devotional, read before you go to bed, telling, and, or a, a threat or a warning. If you don't do this, how are you going to know what God's going to want for your life? How are you going to, da, 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 the worry more than the bribe, if you do this, if you go to church with me, we'll then go off for ice cream afterwards. I know church is boring, and I know Jesus isn't that interesting, but we can do something fun after you put up with the God piece of your week. But don't worry, it's only for like one hour once a week. But what if your kids see you in love with Jesus, hear you talking like Jesus does, see you praying over your neighbors and seeing your neighbors healed, seeing you reconciling with someone that you had a fight with, and then realizing that God's advice on conflict works every time, Super difficult and usually messy, but it works. So what if they see that example? All of these things are leading to this point. If we feel like it is our responsibility to make sure that our kids get from A to B, we are putting ourselves in the role of teacher, and we are putting, making ourselves their ceiling. If I have to teach them everything they need to know, that means I can only teach them what I know. I am their ceiling. If I'm going to teach them how to behave, I am only behaving at the level that I behave so they can only look up to me. That's a low bar. Yesterday, when I'm at home, losing my patience with one of my kids and just like yelling at how much they're frustrating me, and yes, pastors yell. It's funny. It works. It happens. Strange. Yeah. I'm setting a real low ceiling for them to say, this is what you do when you're frustrated. But if it's my responsibility to teach them everything they're going to know, then that's all they got. They can only get as much as I've got. How sad would it be if your children could never grow up to be better than what you are right now? You think about that with me for a second? That like cuts me to the heart, makes me want to cry. What if my children could never, ever grow beyond where I am right now? If I'm their ceiling. How I treat my wife, ceiling for them. How I read the word, how I pray, ceiling for them. How much I love Jesus, ceiling for them. How much I reach out in the world and tell people how much God loves them, ceiling for them. How I deal with my own sinfulness, pride, ceiling. Then this is as good as it gets right now. Because we are as good as it's going to get. Because we are saying that we are all that you need and all that you could be. Learn everything from me. Yeah, what if we don't know that much? And true wisdom is recognizing we don't know that much. God knows and we don't. 
So what I'm going to ask you to do this morning with me as we read what Jesus said about the children, and as we think about the kids' role in community, instead of being the hierarchical chain of command where they can follow after us and our footsteps and we'll teach them everything we know, I would just simply like you and me to lift our kids up onto the same level as us and invite them to join us in seeking Jesus together. Let's make Jesus their ceiling. But he's our ceiling as well. So we can do that together. I want to read my Bible in the morning. Hey, Eloise, come sit on my lap. Think about this cool word that I read. Hey, kids, we're serving in Brockton next week. Come and join along. Do this with us. We don't have to go and build all three houses and a garden and then come back and say, these are all the things that are going to need to be done. Now that we know it all, we as your ceiling have kind of like raised the roof a little bit, and now you can come in and do it after us because we've done it perfectly first. Join us. Join us. Join us. With. 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 We put ourselves between our kids and Jesus when we need to be just pursuing Jesus, making him our ceiling, and if we invite our kids to join us, we make Jesus their ceiling, then there's hope that they won't have to stop wherever we do. So community with kids, not community for kids. Christian community isn't adults upstairs, kids downstairs. Now for teaching, that makes a lot of sense. But you notice we have kids up for singing. We have kids up for prayer. We have kids up for communion. And then when it makes perfect sense to just take a moment and teach them at their individual age level, we have God bless us with someone like Michaela and with each of our Sunday school and nursery teachers. That's perfect. But it's not because we're better than them. When you look at your life, don't you look back fondly at some of those childhood years? Like being a kid is a beautiful thing. And in some ways, we lose that joy and we lose that freedom to just instantly trust. How many of you would just love to be able to fully 100% lean back into God and trust him the way a kid trusts a parent? I think maybe we should be learning from kids a little bit more. Instead of thinking we have to teach them what we know, especially when our ceiling is here. Jesus did it exactly this way. He said, stop hindering the children from coming to me. Let them in. And I think in some ways, by us trying to be the authority in all things, we're hindering them from just coming to Jesus on their own. And the minute we elevate children to be with us, we honor and respect them in a way that frees them to follow Jesus. How many of us look back at our own parents and like really are disappointed with the way they handled this or the way this situation went or how they treated this situation or this person? We have all these things. Well, because they're people. <laughs> they have this human ceiling. We're looking for Jesus here. We're looking to be Jesus. He needs to be our ceiling. And we need to learn just as much from children about dependence upon God, about faith, about joy, about innocence. They can teach us a lot, but not if we keep them locked away and wait till they're grown-ups. Trust me. If we wait till our children are 18 years old, they have missed the opportunity to grow up with Jesus, and we have missed the opportunity to be taught by them what it means to love 
like Jesus. So we're just going to look at a couple of scriptures. I think they're profound in so many ways. We're in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. They're going to be familiar, but I hope that you'll like ponder certain words with me to take us personally into this. For us, for our church, for our families, for me, for you, for Serve Home, for the future of the church. All of these things are what we care about, and I know we do. I know I'm speaking language that we agree upon, um, and I'm challenging us to say we need to think about it from Jesus' perspective so that our kids can grow up into him and not just into us. Mark chapter 10. So we're in the New Testament. It's the Gospel of Mark. So it's a biography of Jesus' life written by Mark. It records this instance. This is also in Matthew and Luke. So it's in three of the four Gospels, this same situation. And we're going to see in a moment that Mark also has another moment that Jesus interacts with kids. So we're going to compare and contrast those two little moments. But this is the one we're starting with. It's a beautiful little moment. Let's just read it and then think about it together. Mark 10, verse 13. And they were bringing children to him, to Jesus, that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. And he said to them, to the disciples, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. I say to you truly, amen, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not inherit it. And he took them, the children, in his arms, and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. How cool would it be to have your kid dedicated by Jesus? I mean, I'm sure we do an okay job here praying for kids, but man, if Jesus can do your baby dedication, that sounds pretty special. I want to be there bringing my children to him and saying, would you touch them? And when Jesus touched people, he healed them. What happened in those children's lives after that moment? Just imagine. And he wanted to hold them. This could be infants. It could be children. There's the same word for child here is used for a girl who's 12 years old elsewhere in the book of Mark. So it's sort of a flexible term. Could be kids of any ages, whether he's scooping them up, whether he's sitting them on his knee. I think that's what my flannel graph had when I was a kid. You know, Jesus, the kid on the knee, just like the sheep around the shoulders, right? We know these images. They're out there. But it doesn't say. So let's not put into too specific of a context. Let's just open our minds to think parents heard that this guy was healing people, that this man was speaking the word of God, that this man claimed to be the Messiah. And what did they do? They brought him their kids. They're like, me, you know, I'm living my life, I'm doing my thing, but this is the future. I have my own hang-ups, I have my own baggage, but this is my prize. If you could help me, that would be great, but if you could just ensure a blessing for my child, I could die happy. Parents love for their children. They brought them kids. But the disciples thought that Jesus was just there to be a teacher. He's there for the grown-ups. So kids, go play. Go play. We're talking with the grown-ups here. We do that sometimes too. Kids, step away, step away, step away. We're trying to have a serious conversation. Quiet, 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 quiet. We're trying to pray. Go in the other room. Mom and Dad want to talk. 
Jesus is talking about some pretty heady, lofty things, but he wants the kids in the room for the conversation so that they can pick up whatever they pick up and so they can be in his presence. Just the touch of Jesus upon the children. Now think of the couple of words there. Think about rebuked and think about indignant. All right, a rebuke is stop that, you're doing it wrong. Indignant means upset and angry. So the disciples were saying, no, we don't bring kids to Jesus. You're wasting his time. He's too busy for something as small as this. And that made Jesus angry. And what he said to them is, don't hinder. You're stopping the kids from getting to me. We often get in the way of our kids just going to Jesus. We get in the way because we say we love him and then we act differently. And instead of just showing them, you know what? The flesh sometimes gets the best of me, but God's given me his spirit. He has grace, even for parents. Instead of doing that, we like dismiss the situation. We move on. We never apologize. We never address it. And we teach them, you believe in Jesus, but you don't live like it. And that must be normal. We hinder them by our example. We hinder them by our own lack of love for Jesus sometimes. On Sunday morning when we're going to worship, capital W, worship, is it, get on your clothes, come on, let's go, got to get out the door, we got to get there, stop that, stop that, don't do that, let's go, let's go, let's go, cracking the whip. Spouses probably do this for each other the same way, so it's probably not just a kid thing. Come on, spouse, let's go, get dressed, you're not ready yet, it's time to go, we're going to be late. Because we got to be there to do the job. And you got to punch in on time. It's business. Jesus, Lord, business. Do you love Jesus? Then that love will be something that your kids love. Because when you love football a lot, your kids start to like football. And likewise, when your kids love hockey a lot, you can get more and more into hockey. We love seeing someone in love with something. So maybe we're hindering our kids, not because we're doing it all wrong, but because we're just settling for such a low ceiling of love between ourselves and Jesus. You know what? If we raise our ceiling, we have a little bit more to give to them. You know, we like lift the roof up a little bit. It went from being like a a hobbit hole or something, and we're like a little bit of the ceiling's going up, and so now we have more to give. But we don't want to make ourselves the ceiling for our children. We want to join together with our kids at whatever age they are and just say, Jesus is where we're going. And we're going to figure it out as we go. It's an adventure, and we're going to fall down sometimes. We're going to see amazing things sometimes. And what do you think about that, Eloise? What do you think about that, Griffin, Eli, Piper? What's it look like for you? We raise our ceiling. It helps us raise theirs, but we can't be the ceiling. So the hindering can come in lots of ways. It can come through our lifestyles. It can come through our lack of love for Jesus. It can come from us saying one thing and doing something else. It can come from us not recognizing who God has made our kids to be and raising them up to be who they are. We're trying to make them over in our image instead of fostering them to become who God has made them to be. Hindering is a very broad word, but I want us to think about it. In what ways are we hindering them? When I was thinking about this here, I actually started to feel convicted a little bit even about our our Sunday services. 
and our worship services. You know, meeting in this style of building with these kinds of lights and projectors and singing these kinds of songs and dressing in these kinds of ways are all very specific things, right? If you go down south in America, it's going to look and feel and sound and smell and taste differently. And if you go to Australia, it's going to look and feel and it's just a cultural sort of thing. But when our kids grow up, they grow up as part of another culture. And then it slowly like, becomes more predominant as they become adults, like that sort of thing. So I wonder in what ways our approach to church hinders our kids from coming to Jesus. Because it's not about doing it this way or singing this kind of a song or this kind of... It's about Jesus. Maybe even our worship services in some ways are a ceiling. Do we fall in love with Jesus? He says, don't stop them from coming to me. Don't hinder them. Because what we're supposed to learn from them is what it looks like to be saved. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God, whoever does not get saved, if you want to use that vernacular, whoever doesn't accept the Holy Spirit, whoever doesn't come into God's family like a child, isn't in. So when you look at the children in this church, say, okay, what are they like? Well, they're fickle and they're proud and they're lazy and they're stubborn and they're cute and like all, it's not about those sorts of qualities. It's about the nature of a child. A child is completely dependent upon their parents and they love their parents. Children who grow up even in abusive homes, God bless you if you grew up in that place, may God continue to give you healing in that way. But even in that way, you still have a love for the parents. Kids still love their parents even if they're abusive. That's what it's like to be part of the kingdom. Where you say, God, I just trust you no matter what. It's you and me and the rest is we're going to figure it out because you're my parents. So, like, it's going to work. And I love you. Even when bad things happen in life, I know they're not coming from you. You love me. You've got me. That's what it means to be saved. You feel that way about Jesus. He's the good shepherd. He's just going to carry you. And it's going to be okay. So if we don't have kids around us, we're going to be all lofty and intellectual and talking adult things and getting absorbed in our minds when he says it's a trust of the heart that you need. So we need to spend more time with our kids, and we need to learn from them instead of just thinking that we know everything that hopefully one day they will learn. So like I said, there's two passages. Flip back to Mark chapter 9, just one chapter back, one chapter back, and let's read the second one. It kind of fills out even more of Jesus' feeling about children. Hopefully it'll speak to us even more. Mark chapter 9, verse 33. Jesus is walking along with his disciples, and Mark records it this way. So they came to Capernaum, one of the towns. And when he was in the house, so he's in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing along the way? We were walking here, I heard you talking. Now he knows everything, but he's just asking them to kind of fess up. Like, put it out there. Let's share. Let's talk. What were you talking about on the way? Verse 34, but they kept silent because on the way, these adults, these grown men, had been arguing with one another about who was the greatest. I did this with Jesus. Oh, yeah, well, you know, the other day I did this. You know, I was here. Oh, and I learned this. And oh, he said this to me. And oh, he and I had this special time. They're all just vying and jockeying for position. So he sat them down. He's like, all right, family meeting. Disciples, sit called the 12, and he said to them, if anyone wants to be first, 
he must be last and servant of all. And he took a child because he's just in the house. So guess what? That means in his community, there were just kids there. It wasn't adult time and kid time. It was community. So the kids are watching Jesus doing these healings. They're watching him and hearing him say, and they get some of it, they don't get some of it, but they grew with it and grew in it. So the child that was just right there wasn't an object lesson, didn't hire someone to bring in a kid. It's just family, it's community. That's how he did it. It's not just school. It's not just seminary with a professor and students. It's family, it's community. So he took the child that was right there and put him in the midst of them. It's kind of like, come stand here, stand here. And taking him in his arms, so he's holding this child. I imagine the boy kind of like standing up in front of him. He's just holding this child. He's saying, see this child standing right here? Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not just me, but him who sent me. This goes straight back to that so familiar quote by Jesus, whatever you've done for the least of these, you've done for me. How you treat the children in your life is a direct visual of how you love Jesus. How you live with your children reflects how you love Jesus. When you love your child, and it's just the two of you, and no one else sees that you are loving Jesus. So not only do we want to become like children so that we can actually be Christians, because that's what it takes, we actually have to love our children because that's what a Christian does. And if we're not doing that, we're not living out what it looks like to love Jesus. But every time we do love a child, we are loving Jesus and we're loving God who sent him. Can I, don't flip there, but can I just contrast this with something that Jesus said to the people who were religious in his day but who were very hypocritical about it? There we go. If you want to look it up later, feel free, but don't turn there now. Just listen. Matthew 23, 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel across sea and land to make a single convert. And when he becomes a convert, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. All you religious people who know the word, you're scribes, you transcribe it, you teach it. Pharisees, the pastors, the religious leaders, you who know it all, you don't live like it. You don't have it in your heart. And so guess what that convert, that child is going to turn out like? Not like the stuff that you say with your mouth. Kids, pick up your laundry. Don't pick up your laundry. If you do it, I'll give you something. If you don't, you're going to be punished. Love Jesus. Go to church. Read your Bible. If you do it, good things are going to happen to you. If you don't, no. Our kids are going to become us. And our job is to make sure that they actually become Jesus. And to put him into the place of authority in our lives and to make us children too. We're just kids too. We're older kids. And we welcome the younger kids in and say, none of us have got it figured out, but Jesus, oh man, he's amazing. If we travel across land and sea to make a single follower of Jesus, they're going to grow up to be Jesus. If we go across the town line into Brockton and are witnessing to people and, and go over like, you know, blood, sweat, and tears, give all of our things and all of our money and whatever to serve someone, and they come to become just like us, then we are their ceiling, and they will never get any better than you are right now. I hate that thought. 
I don't want that for myself and I don't want that for anybody else because it's limitless depths of God. So why do we have like a cap on who we can become and who anybody else can become? Don't make someone like us. Don't make your kids like you. You have to introduce them to who we need to become. So it's not about just knowing a lot of information the scribes and the Pharisees do and many of us good church folk do. Who are we? Is our identity in the blood of Christ? Is Jesus what we live for, what we wake up for, what we're dying for? Because if so, then there's a chance that that's a pretty good place for our kids to start to grow up to. If you're looking for what to do next beyond just teach our children Bible verses, invite them to serve Jesus with you. Next week on Serve Home, invite our children to be next to us. Invite our children to work with us. But you see where this gets tricky? It means that we have to be doing something if we're going to invite them to do it with us. And that's hard because sometimes we look at ourselves like, I'm not actually doing anything. So all I can do is tell my kids to go do something because I'm so busy with my life and my hobbies and my friends and my house and my everything that I'm not actually doing anything to serve the Lord. So it's easier to tell my kids go and live for Jesus than invite them to do it with me because I'm not actually doing anything. We have this beautiful gem of an opportunity next week. Invite our kids to just be with us. Be a kid. And so therefore be in God's kingdom. Love the children around us. Inspire, recognize you're loving Jesus when you do that. But don't make the houses about us. And don't make projects the ceiling. Because if that's their ceiling, then the only thing our children will ever be able to do, the only way they'll ever grow is to be good enough to help revitalize a community garden and fix up three homes per summer. I don't want that ceiling for my kids. And I don't want that ceiling for your kids. And all of us are the kids. I don't want it for us either. So all I'm saying is just do what Jesus Don't stop. Don't stop the little kids from coming in. Don't stop the kids from coming in. Just invite them in with us, which requires us to be doing something else. I'll say one last thing. We'll close with the doxology. It's kind of like a little secret that I'm going to let you in on here. It's not my goal to lead a church and to make and to build a church, to serve in a church that can keep that group of people happy for the indefinite future by keeping it comfortable. My dream is that we would build a church for our children and for the people that don't love God yet. Because in so doing, we will grow. If we're looking to keep and preserve, we lose. But if we're willing to give everything, then we gain everything. What kind of a church do we want five years, ten years from now? What if the way we go about church is a hindrance to our children? Do you see your children loving Jesus as a result of being involved in our gatherings and in our community of faith? Hopefully you can say yes. What if you can't? Or what if it's a mixed bag? The question is, all right, when we take a child and put him or her on a level playing with us, it's like, all right, child. I wish I had Griffin or Eloise here. You know, look at them, say, what does Jesus mean to you? How much do you love him? What do we want to do about that? Instead of here's what we're going to do, here's what we're going to do, I'm in charge, you follow me. 
they're just going to hit that ceiling so fast. What if they could pass our ceiling right now at whatever age they're at? <laughs> I think many of them can. We sang a song this morning. <laughs> From how old is Avery? She's seven. We sang a song and worshipped using the words of a seven-year-old. Most of us would have been a ceiling through which that couldn't have gotten through. It's not our gifts. Maybe we don't worship the way she does. Maybe we don't worship as well as she does. Uh, I want to learn how to worship from Avery. I want to sing the songs on her heart. So let's not stop them from coming to Jesus. Let's not stop doing this together. When we have our teams, when we have our small groups, when we have our communities, we have all of our things. Our get like It's not adults and kids. It's the family, and we're all the kids. So please, my challenge to you, Let's not just build something for us. Let's build something for those who need to grow into what God is calling them to be. And it's got to have a really tall ceiling, or maybe just an outdoor chapel with no ceiling at all, but that ceiling cannot be us, or what we have today will be as good as it can ever be. And Jesus has much higher hopes than that for our kids. Close with a prayer, and then we'll close with the doxology. Jesus, bring us into your presence even closer. Take us from standing beside you to being in your arms. Put your hands on us, put your hands on me. Today, this day, would you touch us and bless us, lay your hands on us and dedicate us? We want to love you through loving our children. We want to be like little kids. We want to recognize we are just children. We don't know the way, but you do. Help us to be so good at loving you, so good at following you, that we raise our ceilings and we Set an example that could have an influence for the next generation. I pray that you would teach us from those younger than us. I pray your blessing again on Michaela and her ministry here as she seeks to teach us all, not just the younger children, but us adult children as well. May we learn from her. May we see how she's lifted her ceiling so far, and may we be inspired by that. Bless each parent. Bless each adult in this church who has grown children out of the home or no children at all. May you help us recognize that we are all family, and the kids in the room are all of our kids. And Jesus, they're yours. So we dedicate to you the children of this church and pray that you would teach us how to live for you in a way that changes their lives, which grows your kingdom and changes the world for eternity. We love you, Jesus. We love these children. Make us like our children so we can love you better and better every day. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.